I am Brother Cornell West, and this is Hip Hop Can Save America. Peace and love, everybody. It's your man, Manny Faces. Just wanted to let you know that Hip Hop Can Save America is now available as a live stream show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube. You can find it at hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Excerpts from that show will be played here on the audio feed, so you'll still get the good interviews that you've been used to. But check out the live stream and check out my free Substack newsletter at mannyfaces.substack.com. That's filled with all kinds of stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and generally hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. For everything hip-hop can save America, hiphopcansaveamerica.com. For everything Manny Faces, mannyfaces.com. And if you find value in this work, you can support it. We'd love to have you aboard as a supporter at patreon.com slash mannyfaces. Now let's go. The thing about hip-hop uh, today is it's smart. It's insightful. The, the way that they can communicate uh, a complex message in a very short space is, is remarkable. And a lot of these kids, they're not going to be reading the New York Times. That's not how they're getting their information. So hip hop didn't invent anything, but hip hop reinvented everything. Good afternoon or good morning, depending on where you are. Whether you're uh, on the East Coast like me or west of the East, then it might still be morning. So, and you might be listening to this later. So, it might the time is irrelevant. Hello to you, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America. It's your man Manny Faces, live and direct from Newark, New Jersey. Brick City uh, is in the house. Uh, we are here uh, bringing this podcast to life following a uh, bunch of episodes that have appeared on the podcast uh, feed over the past couple of years, I decided that pandemic life wasn't um, complicated enough. <laughs> and I would do this every day uh, for the month of September. Well, almost every day, Mondays through Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, sharp. And then a special bonus episode will appear magically on your podcast feed if you're subscribing there. So to the podcast feed listeners, I know this might be a little bit different, uh, but studies have shown, a very scientific study of me looking at the numbers, uh, that you actually don't mind the daily uh, drop on the podcast feed. So thank you for sticking with me and sticking with this idea and this concept through the month of September. If you also like kind of that long, in-depth, highly edited, a lot of less uh, stumbling over words than I do in real life, uh, you'll still get those full episodes on Friday. Matter of fact, last Friday, we just dropped a really great interview with uh, a teaching artist, an instructor, an MC, a beatboxer, uh, a game show creator, uh, but a freestyle rap artist uh, extraordinaire. And not only just being an artist, uh, David B.S. Bradshaw is also someone who's developing workshops and training and uh, something he calls freestyle fitness and a props freestyle game show off the top of the head, that kind of freestyle, uh, but showing the benefits, sometimes unexpected benefits that practicing or participating in freestyle rap can bring, not just to artists and hip hop, but in corporate boardrooms, sort of as a public speaking tool. Uh, so many great things and gems came out of that, that interview. So you can find that only, that was not live, that was uh, only on the podcast feed. So wherever you get podcasts, hip hop can save America. Uh, just search, you'll find uh, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks to Funkadelic Studios. Also, uh, once again, if you're in New York City or the New York City area, if you're a musician itching to get back to your to your music playing after pandemic has now finally opened up some things, uh, Funkadelic Studios rehearsal space, recording space is open in New York City. Very safe, very disinfected, high tech stuff, UV rays, and definitely safe and open for you to uh, uh, to participate. So check out Funkadelic Studios. I believe they have some discount uh, prices happening right now to entice people to come back and get their music recording and rehearsing on. I know a lot of musicians in and around New York City have been aching to do that. Uh, and lastly, for today, just as you know, the the beginning of the show housekeeping. Uh, if you're listening to this show. You'll find this other thing that I do uh, very insightful, and I think you'll want to participate in it. It's the Hip Hop Advocate uh, is a newsletter uh, that goes out every now and then. Uh, I want to say every couple of weeks. It goes out every now and then. It doesn't bombard you. It's not a daily thing. 
But when it goes out, it's thick. It's just chock full of really great curated articles. I, what I do is I hand pick and hand curate uh, articles from all over the web, all over the world uh, that look at, again, this kind of thing that we're talking about here on this show, the intersection of hip hop and different areas uh, of interest in society. So not the gossipy entertainment stuff, but the hip hop applications in education or health and wellness and science and technology, political activism and all the other the fine arts. So the Hip Hop Advocate newsletter can be found in a couple of places. The easiest thing to do for that and this podcast is to go to the Center for Hip Hop Advocacy, which is at hiphopadvocacy.org. But again, if you Google these things, they'll come up. Our SEO game is proper. <sighs> okay, housekeeping out of the way. Uh, I'm very happy to have uh, a guest with us today. I'm happy to have guests any day. I, you know, I'm just glad that everyone was participating and coming on time and not messing me up live. I'm very thankful to everyone who's done it so far. And to kick it off today, the first full week of this madness, to discuss this intersection of hip hop and education, specifically through a mathematics lens. Hey, it's me, Manny, now playing the role of narrator, voice of God. The perils of doing a live broadcast brings on technical difficulties sometimes, and at the beginning of this interview, Dr. Marty Kaysen couldn't be heard. You couldn't hear that she had been a teacher at Texas A&M and uh, been a math teacher and done all these things, but it didn't take too long to figure out that I zigged when I should have zagged and press the right button and get Dr. Marty Kaysen back in the mix to explain what she does in her work educating other educators about the concepts of progressive and diverse thinking in education and hip-hop ed. Here's Dr. Marty Kaysen. And their student teaching, and then I also uh, teach a course, an introductory course to pre-service teachers, like secondary ed, and get them introduced to, to our program. Okay. Um, and then this semester, I actually took on a couple courses they gave me for alternative certifications. For alternative, sorry, say it again? Alternative certification. Okay. All right. We've I've followed you for a long time. We've been kind of crossing paths online. We've been dealing with sure. the hip hop ed movement and, uh, you know, uh, shouts to the entire hashtag hip hop ed Twitter chat that happens Tuesday nights, nine o'clock Eastern. Uh, and everyone affiliated with that. I've had some people on this show uh, that have been kind of surrounding uh, or involved in that, as you have very actively been participating. First of all, wh how did you first get involved in sort of uh, the idea of incorporating hip hop as an educational tool, as an educational intersection. Uh, where did that first come about for you? So I taught in my first part of my career, I taught in Dallas ISD. Um, and, but I grew up very in a very rural school district, um, all white school district. So stepping into a role of being a teacher in Dallas ISD was very different for me. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I didn't, I don't feel like I did very well in the beginning of my career. I wasn't very prepared uh, given the program that I was in. And um, so then I, my second master's degree that I got was actually through uh, UT Austin. Okay. And um, I went into a program to be in ed leadership and, but it was, it was focused, just, it was centered around urban education. So this is where I started to really get into and learn how to talk about race, talk about culture, and get into those conversations and what that really meant in education and, and how that impacted uh, the classroom. Uh, and then I got certified to be a principal and then uh, very quickly decided that that really wasn't my passion. Mathematics is more my passion. So um, that's I've done um, studies in, like I have a meta-analysis out that looks at uh, research and numeracy development, uh, doing numeracy interventions with children when they're young and how that can really impact um, their mathematics learning. Yeah. Um, so mathematics is really my passion and, and how we how we teach mathematics. And then when I went on to get my doctorate uh, degree, I wanted to look at African-American achievement in mathematics because um, that's, that's where, when we look at the data, that's where we're always seeing um, you know, we're, we're disaggregating the data. You have, you know, um, and in Dallas, we had mostly Hispanic, but then some African-American population, uh, very few white students in Dallas. Right. Uh, so, but it's looking at like, why, why does the data look the way that it does? Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I went to get my doctorate, that's what I wanted to study. And then I found hip hop ed and actually, it, I actually found hip hop ed through Gloria Latson Billings. Okay. I had met her at a conference in Canada 
and um, I, I watched a, um, a talk that she did called Hip Hop Hip Hop. And she mentioned the Hip Hop Ed Chat. And so I started chatting online and getting involved in that. And, and, and very quickly, and you know, I read an article, several articles about hip hop education, hip hop pedagogy. And I started to think about all the students that I had taught. This is, and when they talked about hip hop identity students, I got really excited because I was like, these are the students that I taught. These are, this, this is their identity. Right. And so, but I had never heard that before. Mm, that and connection so, had been made in, in your teaching when you were learning. I didn't grow up right. hip -hop, in the hip hop culture. So yeah. um, the town that I grew up was grew up in was very racist. And so it just, you know, that wasn't uh, something that I grew up with. And um, so seeing that, the, you know, hip hop identity, that's, I really got excited and wanted to start to study that. Got involved in the chats. Um, I actually reached out to a local hip hop artist. I wanted to bring it into my math methods classroom because when I was a when I was a student um, going going to get my PhD, I also taught at the University of St. Thomas a grad assistant, and so I taught math methods courses. Um, and so I brought him in to talk about hip hop culture because I I had started to study, started to learn about hip hop culture, but me talking about it to my students didn't really make an impact. And so when I brought um, A.B. the Great, he's actually the co-author on the chapter I wrote in the in the hip hop in the new hip hop ed compilation. And the reason for that is he helped me so much in the work that I did. Um, his his contribution to that was invaluable for me. Um, and so I reached out to him and I would talk about what I wanted to implement in my classroom. He came in and talked about hip hop culture. And it just really made a difference. And what I started to notice was or started to, to really uh, think about was the students that I was teaching were it was an elementary math methods course. So most elementary teachers are female. Very rarely did I have a male student. Uh, most of our students were white. And um, it really watching them interact with AB, they had never really interacted with anybody that was hip hop. Right. And so um, they they really, uh, I think it really impacted them listening to him talk about the culture and talk about his experiences as a student. Right. And then um, at some point I reached out to him too and I said, I've never been to a hip hop show. <laughs> and so um, I started going to uh, hip hop shows in Denton. I started out in Denton going uh, there since that was his, that was his area. Uh, right. He's from, he's from Southeast Denton. So um, he's a going performing to, artist as well. Mm -hmm. yep, yep. Yeah, he's a rapper. Yep. And uh, so we, I started going to shows in Denton and got to know local Denton artists. And then eventually I started going to more shows in Dallas, you know, which is close by and uh, sort of built a network of artists that I know now that I can reach out to um, when I have questions or if I need something or, you know, I've had a couple of them do uh, uh, come to my classroom and even into my college classroom nice. um, to guest lecture. So. Nice. It's always good to get the, uh, the practitioners involved. Uh, you know, some people are, we hear that sometimes with hip hop education that some, you know, and some, not y'all, cause y'all do it right. But there's some people that maybe poke around, but don't actually involve the actual participants and practitioners of the culture, you know, into the mix. And I think that's super important. I want to take it sort of real cursory level. We talk about this stuff. We, you know, read the journals, write for the journals. Uh, but a lot of times outside of our familiarity with hip hop and education as a mix, people are a little bit unaware of the concept or skeptical of the concept on a very surface level, especially with math. You know, a lot of times we can see how a hip hop mindset or hip hop styles or hip hop methods could be used in language arts. That's, you know, we can see how that works. Right. We can see how it works with the Science Genius Program. We can see how it works with, you know, some of the more, you know, wordy subject areas. I remember being at a uh, Columbia University uh, engagement uh, with uh, Summer McCoy, Summer from Hip Hop Hacks, and uh, Martha Diaz from the Hip Hop Education Center. And, you know, we were having this little side discussion and people were coming over and educators, you know, asking about this intersection. And someone said, well, can math teach, you know, help us teach calculus? <laughs> you know, kind of scoffing at the notion. Um, yeah, of course. Of course it can. It can help us teach anything. But from, a, from looking at it from a mathematics point 
and dealing with the, with the students, there's a whole lot of elements here. How would I have answered that question to this man who felt like this was a weird, unholy matrimony? A lot of it's about how we teach, though, too. So a lot of hip hop pedagogy is not necessarily the content, but how we teach it. And so how we frame it for students. But I think that one of the things that we can do. So one of the things I did with my pre-service teachers in the what that I talk about a little bit in the chapter that I wrote was uh, we did a math rap battle. And the way that I did that, because it was elementary, is it's not that they rapped about, they didn't just pick a math concept to rap about like they do in Science Genius. Right. So the way I did it was is they had to do a battle within the lyrics. And so they had to pick opposing concepts, um, addition and subtraction, multiplication and division. Um, they had to choose those opposing concepts and then battle those concepts. Okay, so uh, prime numbers, composite numbers. Mm. And... The reason that that was important was is because students, they, first of all, they got the opportunity to write, try to write lyrics, which was a lot harder than they thought it was going to be, I think. Right. And then, um, but if you did this with students, with elementary students, one of the things in mathematics is that we need to know how those concepts connect to one another. It's not just that they're, that they're opposing, but they also, there's a connection there. Right. And so... Um, those addition and subtraction connect to one another. When we're solving equations in algebra, it's important to understand that those are opposite operations. Right. Um, and so that connects what we learn in elementary school. Um, you know, when I talk about numeracy and numerical fluency, what we learn in elementary school is such a big foundation for students. When we get up to teaching them algebra and calculus, they're not going to understand right. those particular areas of mathematics without understanding the basics. Right, right. Without understanding that basic and having that basic numerical fluency. And so numerical fluency isn't just being able to add and subtract. It's being able to understand how those two concepts connect to one another. Right. And so when they battled, they battled the concepts. And then they, but then they had to write a hook that talked about how those concepts were related. Got it. So there was a specific way that I had them do the battles. Right. This is more uh, not just, uh, like you said, picking a concept and, and rapping about it as if it exists, but having a mastery uh, or, or at least a, a strong knowledge of how they uh, intertwine with other concepts and intertwine, like you said, with opposing uh, concepts specifically, because that gives right. you a, a real understanding of how these things work together as mm -hmm. opposed to just existing. Right. In practice, how do you see the difference uh, teaching this way? I guess anecdotally, like how does it feel? What do you see? How do you judge or gauge that this works as good as, if not better than more traditional standard ways of getting these concepts across to young people? I think that when we, you know, when I first started teaching, I really didn't understand. You know, I heard about culturally relevant teaching, culturally responsive teaching, what those things were. We went to trainings, you know, all of that. But I didn't really understand what that meant, especially in mathematics. I had a hard time understanding exactly what that meant, because most of the time you don't have teachers who teach mathematics come in and do those trainings. Right, right. And so, um, but what Hip Hop Ed did for me was it gave me tools. It gave me like a con some concrete ways and tools to start to think about how do I implement this in my classroom? And there are things that we can do. I know like uh, Gloria Latson Billings and Bettina Love both talk about, you know, the simple, you know, simply doing raps for memorization in mathematics. And it's not that that's wrong to do. I don't think it's just that it can be broader. Hip hop is a lot broader than that. Right. You know, um, when we talk about, um, you know, another example for mathematics is when we talk about graffiti artists. Graffiti artists do their sketches and, you know, they do their sketches first and then they do it on a larger canvas. You know, that's proportionality. Mm -hmm. That's taking something for being very small and making it onto a very large campus. And there, there are proportional relationships there that you could explore through right. mathematics. Right. The scale um, and all that, yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot more that we can explore, even putting, even looking at music itself, looking at, you know, um, music bars, like putting bars together and, you know, quarter notes, half notes, whole notes, eighth notes, 16th notes, how all of those fractions relate to one another to make a whole. Right. 
there's so many ways that we can look at music and at hip hop through, you know, and, and look at it through mathematically. Right. And um, what I found talking to hip hop artists, you know, when I do talk to hip hop artists about it is that they see the connection, you know, they see the connection to mathematics yeah. and, but math teachers don't tend to because we want to teach in a very traditional way. Right. Right. I think, and, and I had uh, actually both Dr. Latson Billings and Dr. Love on this show. And uh, one of the things that um, I remember uh, Bettina Love saying was that, all this stuff, a lot of this stuff, the stuff you talk about, not just using it as a rote memorization, you know, style of learning, right. but this sort of critical thinking, social emotional intelligence, this way of looking at the subject matter through a, a hip hop lens is something that hip hop folks know, just they know, just know, they just do it naturally. Uh, but we don't, you know, they don't always uh, know how to put it into words or translate it into the school setting, but the general uh, skills needed the general perspectives are all there in young people, especially whose language and lifestyle and ethos is hip hop. Right. Agree? Exactly. And I think that a lot of, you know, and something very basic that I tell pre-service teachers um, is that you're, you're coming at this, especially if you're not part of the hip hop culture. One of the biggest things you can do is allow your students to be hip hop. If that's what they are, if that's what they're bringing into the classroom, allow them the space to be that. And to teach you what the culture is, teach them, teach you what their culture is and what culture they want to bring into the classroom. Right. Meet and so where I, they're at. Right. And, yeah. and one of the things I think, what, what, a big thing too, I think I've learned through being part of hip hop ed is just the, uh, the amount of love and the amount of, uh, it's hard to describe because it's so, um, it's something you feel, but it's very hard to describe to me. Like it's, it's just this awesome kind of love that you feel being part of that group. Yeah. But, and, and you bring, if you bring that into your classroom, you're going to get so much more out of your students. Yeah. The intersection education, hip hop is also attached to social justice. The idea right. that teaching better, especially to communities and young people that have been traditionally underrepresented, under-resourced, underfunded, underappreciated, under, you know, under, under everything can enhance, again, this show is called Hip Hop to Save America. How can we save America? By giving everyone a more equitable opportunity. How can we do that? We can do that through hip hop in some of the ways you're talking about. How much of a social justice umbrella do you feel this whole uh, intersection of using hip hop in your teaching and specifically math, but overall the hip hop ed kind of idea, social justice, how does that play a part? And I think for me, you know, I'm not teaching specifically teaching math right now. I'm teaching pre-service teachers. And so I think for me, I take it into that program. Right. And I try to make sure that, you know, I elevate certain voices. So I don't, I, you know, I can give students, you know, I can talk about equity, I can talk about social justice, but how do I do that without, without giving an example, right? And so I try to elevate certain voices. I obviously, you know, I, I bring in like Chris Emden, a lot of time, you know, look at his TED Talks. Sure. You know, I look at Bettina Love's work. We look at um, uh, Jamila, uh, livestock, her, you know, her, her stuff. And then, um, but then like last semester I brought in, uh, we did a video conference. We were able to do a video conference with, um, Jay Rawls and John Robinson, uh, nice. for the youth, you know, the youth culture, uh, youth culture pedagogy. And so, um, I brought them in and it was, and I think it's, it's good to bring that in. And then one of the other things that I try to do is I try to involve local hip hop artists in my work. Right. You're very so, involved in the local scene. Right. Yeah. And so I've got involved in the, in the local hip hop scene uh, here in the DFW area. And I, so I know a lot of artists. And so what I try to do is, is I do try to bring them into the classroom or try to do, um, you know, things with them. And what I found talking to them is a lot of them want to get involved in education. Right. It's just knowing how to do that. It's knowing how to navigate the education system. Yeah. And um, I did have an artist um, uh, two years ago, we did a video 
the school that I was at, the principal allowed me to, uh, you, we uh, were, you know, got permission to, and got the students involved in that, in the school that I was at um, to do a video. He, he had a, a song called Walking Tall and um, it was about uh, bullying. Mm. It was about his experience. You know, he wrote it uh, with his own experience being bullied and um, he wanted to do a video to that, but he wanted to use students. Right. And so um, I actually was able to get my principals to agree to that. And we got the students, you know, got all the permission forms and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we, we went up to the school on a weekend and we videoed, we made this video um, for, for Walking Tall. Uh, so Motion is the artist um, for that, but he's, um, uh, he, 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 you know, he, he experienced that kind of bullying because uh, he immigrated here. Uh, with his parents to uh, more Oklahoma. So, mm. um, so he was in, you know, he was in Oklahoma growing up and you can imagine um, immigrating. Uh, uh, he immigrated from Iran. And so uh, imagine immigrating here and being in more Oklahoma um, and with the population that's there. And so he experienced a lot of bullying mm. in that setting. Right. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what <clears throat> prompted the song that he wrote. And then, um, and then we were able to to create a video from that. That's dope. It's great when you have obviously administration and other uh, entities that not always that have not always been traditionally accepting to you know progressive thought uh, or progressive methods of interacting with in the educational space. Have you had pushback? Have you had hesitation when trying to work some of this stuff in? Oh, for sure. And that's a lot of times, you know, especially with mathematics being a tested, highly tested course. Right. Um, you always, and I teach middle school, so it's tested every single year in middle school. Um, state tests are always, are always there. And yeah. so, um, so yeah, I definitely have gotten some pushback um, when I, when I did try to implement uh, things in the classroom because of the concern about testing. Yeah. And the more, you know, folks like yourself do the work and, you know, get the receipts and show that these things are working and they're effective and they're helpful. That helps. Obviously, the next generation of, you know, progressive minded teachers to, to bring this in. What do you uh, say to when you talk to, I assume you, you might or if not, hypothetically, uh, to teachers who are, you know, hip hop minded, starting to get into the hip hop ed movement, start to understand these things can happen, but are facing pushback from maybe uh, administration or or parents uh, you know, what do you, how do you, how do you guys deal with that? Um, and I think that that's definitely possible. And I, I think you have to work sometimes within the system that you're in. Right. Um, and, and sometimes you have to be a little bit quieter about what you're doing in your classroom. So, um, you know, just so that you can do what you want to do in your classroom. Right. Um, but then I think you have to work, like I said, you're going to have to work within the system that you're in. Yeah. Uh, but you, you can bring, you can certainly bring in, even if you can't bring in um, everything that you want, you can certainly bring in a hip hop mindset. Right. into the classroom can't can't stop how, you can't stop how you build your classroom building a positive learning environment they can't stop that they, right. that's not that's something that you're supposed to do as a teacher that's something that you're that you're um, you know observed on so when you developing the culture in your classroom is definitely something that is that you can do without without that perspective Got it. Over the years that you've been doing this and involved with it and, and uh, you know, being involved with this, these ideas, have you found that it's been more accepted? I guess it depends. I know it depends on where you're at and what kind of situation. But at It least depends on the principal. It depends right. on the school. I think that something I'm kind of turning toward now is, um, you know, I think hip hop, you know, hip hop ed is, is certainly being more accepted. Like when you're talking about urban spaces, um, but I think that it, what we're doing needs to move into suburban and rural schools. Right. You know, right. um, when we talk about, like, like I said, I grew up in a rural school district that was all white or mostly white. Right. Um, and so how do we take the ideas that we're looking at? We talk about social justice and we talk about, um, you know, that social consciousness, how do we take that into more rural school districts? Right. And right. that's where I think um, you would definitely get a lot of parent pushback depending on how you, you know, what you brought in. But right. um, sure. 
I think that that's, you know, that's really the the goal is to get it is, is to bring it into schools that are predominantly white because they need that. They need that exposure too. Right. They need those conversations. They need to learn the, the correct history, you know, um, because that's, you know, I, I definitely think that I was missing something when I first went into teaching because I didn't learn those things. Right. Right. I often ask this question. You answered already, but it's the, the question I often ask the hip hop educators or, you know, hip hop based education folks is say, of course, there's, attention paid to black and brown communities, inner cities, and, you know, but these are universal approaches that actually could could and do work as effectively across all demographics, across right. all sections and, and, and areas with an added bonus, I think, of giving that sort of cultural awareness, that, that understanding that they may not have been uh, previously exposed to. And you're saying that from someone who wasn't and now seeing what I could have been, yes and yes. Yes. Yes, and that's benefit, yeah, and that would be highly beneficial to anyone entering this space, I would imagine. Right. Uh, speaking about space, you were given space in the new hip hop ed uh, compilation book, the hip hop ed, the compilation, hip hop education volume two, which is hip hop as practice and social justice. Again, you mentioned you and AV the Great contributed a, uh, a chapter to that creating a shared energy through hip hop to advance the pedagogy of math pre service educators, shared energy. Can you talk a little bit about the shared energy part of that? Sure. So when I was working on that uh, particular study, um, that actually wound up being my dissertation too, so, um, that we worked on. And um, so this is, this is out of part of my dissertation work. And um, one of the things that one of my uh, committee members wanted me to, I guess when I originally put it in there, it didn't have a name. And so they're like, it needs a name. Like what your intervention that you did needs a name. And I was like, okay. So of course, like for me, since AV helped me so much, I went to him, you know, him and I had a conversation, had a discussion about, okay, so what are we going to call this? Because he was involved in helping me develop my curriculum. And, and um, you know, we had several conversations over the semesters of things that I was doing in the classroom. And so, uh, so when we talked about it, we talked about shared energy through hip hop because there's an energy that we had to share together, right? We had, there's this space that we had to get into together. We had to talk about, mm -hmm. okay, what am I going to do? Am I being true to hip hop culture when I do this, you know, right. and trying to make sure that I'm, I'm doing these things correctly as a white woman. Right. And um, as somebody who is new to the culture, you know, now I feel like I'm part of the culture because I, you know, become part of, part of the, the hip hop community here for certain, for, you know, um, in the DFW area, but at first I didn't feel like I was part of it. I didn't feel like I was part of hip hop. And so I wanted to make sure that I was, whatever I was bringing into the classroom, I was, I was doing it in the correct way. Right. Um, and so I, to be able to do that, I had to ask him because he, he was, the ex, he's the expert on hip hop for me. Right. Right. And um, so when we talked about, there's this shared energy between the two of us. And then when we take it into a space, there's a shared energy within that space. Right. And so that's that's how we came up with that that particular um, a name for the intervention that we did. Right. I like it because it does kind of um, it implies that it's not just a transference of information, but it's sort of a co-joining, uh, you know, working together. So working together as teachers, teaching teachers and then mm -hmm. working together as teachers, educating young people, which I think sits at the heart of sort of the culturally relevant and hip hop ed styles of teaching is, is that. Uh, meet them where they are, involve them in the teaching, put it all right. together in that way. And if you do that in the right way, you can have great results. Once again, uh, and I just want to say, uh, you know, we're, this is uh, if you're just tuning in now on the live stream, this is Hip Hop Can Save America, the podcast. We're doing it live through the month of September, uh, Monday through Thursdays, and then a special uh, drop on the podcast feed on Friday. So please do subscribe to that. want to shout out to the uh, sponsor of this segment, Newsbeat Podcast, which is a social justice podcast that incorporates hip hop. It's uh, social justice journalism. We like to say it's as if uh, Democracy Now! and Black Thought had a podcast, baby. Uh, so you should definitely check that out. Uh, Newsbeat Podcast, wherever you find podcasts. Uh, and um, just continuing the conversation before we before we wrap up. Again, it's anecdotal. I, I'm trying to get like a sort of a feeling out of this. Uh, but just especially with young people, uh, but across the board, even teaching teachers, even teaching, you know, teachers who are going into this field. What benefits? And we've, we've touched on a positive aspects of this. We touched on a few. 
Um, why is this in your mind just necessary? The way to do it, it has to be done this way. Is that how you feel? Yeah, I do. And I think that um, one of the things in my own practice uh, is that I'm very have to be very reflective. Um, you know, in in the chapter, I talk about my own background. You know, and I talked about it here. Um, what my background is, and that impacts certainly impacts what I do now. Right. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things that needs to happen, especially when we have uh, pre-service teacher populations that are predominantly white, um, you know, secondary ed, we have more of a mix of male and female. Uh, right. Elementary ed, we have, you know, a high, high percentage of female. Right. Um, but in education in general, high percentage of white and female. And so how do, you know, how do we start that process in the program of them reflecting on their practice. Um, you know, mm. when, you know, I talk about working with AD and that shared energy, one of the, you know, one of the big things is, is that when he steps up to be the teacher in the classroom, you know, I give him, you know, he comes in as a guest lecturer and he steps up to be the teacher. I sit down as a learner, you know, and, mm. um, you know, when we're talking, I'm learning about, I'm learning from him. He's the right. teacher now, he's the expert. Right. And um, I think it's important even as a teacher to be able to understand that you're not always the expert in the room. Sometimes you are, but not always. So I think that you have to be able to step back and to learn. Um, you know, last semester, um, I was asked to do the diversity and equity in the seminar courses that we were doing. Um, it, there's actually quite a few professors in that class. Um, there's several, like three or four of us in that class. Mm -hmm. um, so we each take days to do, you know, different lessons, um, with the students. And I was asked to do the diversity and equity lesson. And so we looked at, um, the Ted talk, the danger of a single story. I don't know if that's one that you've seen mm -hmm. before, uh, Chimamanda and Gizzi Adichie, um, okay. is the one that does that one. And, uh, so we looked at that particular Ted talk and, you know, one of the things, so she's talking about the single story, like what single story do you have, of you know, someone else, she's talking about the single story of books. Like if you only see books written a certain way, you know, then this is what you expect, right? Yeah. This is the stories. If these are the only stories that you see, then th this is what you expect. Right, right. Um, and so we looked at that and I, you know, we had a really powerful moment, I think, uh, you know, I asked students to look at, you know, and they had to write down, you know, what's a single story somebody thought about me and what's a single story that I thought about somebody else. Mm. And they didn't have to share out loud. I didn't, you know, I didn't do it like that. I had them kind of, um, they did it on note cards and I did like a side A, side B. <laughs> um, and um, kind of like, a, you know, I was thinking of like a cassette tape. And so, um, <laughs> nice. but then they had to, they had to, you know, um, in their group, you know, this is before all the social distancing, but in their group, they had to pass the note cards around and they just read them. So there wasn't, you know, there wasn't this reading out loud or anything, um, but I actually had a student that um, at the end of it, and we talked about the experience of it, he admitted, he said, you know, he said on this, he said, where you asked me to think about a single story, somebody thought about me and, and he, he was a white male. Right. He said, um, I had a really hard time coming up with something. And on the other side, where he, single story, he thought about somebody else. He said, I had a hard time deciding which one I wanted to write down that wasn't too embarrassing. <laughs> right. And so it's really getting them to, you know, and then I shared about my own, my own experiences, my own past, you know, um, where I grew up, everything. And, it, and it's about that reflective process. To be able to get into this work, you're going to have to reflect on yourself first. Right. You're going to have to reflect on yourself and your own culture first before you get into this work. You have to be willing to do that. Yeah. And so I think it's important to bring that into when we talk about pre-service teachers, bring that into the programs because they can start to learn new things as they get out of the classroom. The, the, the whole point of hip hop ed is to learn from your students. Right. Right. And so it's not about the it's not about giving them all the pieces to what hip hop pedagogy is, but it is starting that process of reflection and, and how you can come into the classroom and ask your students, be willing to step back as a teacher and say, okay, I'm going to learn from you. 
Yeah. And I, I think it also works uh, with those who are connected to the culture a lot as, as much as those, like you say, coming into it and trying to figure it out, make sure you're doing it in an authentic manner, make sure you're not stepping on cultural toes. Uh, right. I, I interviewed uh, Dr. Lauren Kelly uh, for this podcast. She's out of Rutgers uh, Education uh, Department, and uh, she wrote a co-authored a paper. Uh, I think it was uh, when when keeping it real goes wrong in hip hop education. And it's, a, and it's a very reflective thing. I am of the culture and I'm teaching teachers, you know, or we're trying to teach young kids, but we have to navigate the way to do that. Sometimes we have to right. recognize that, yes, we want to give them space and, but giving them too much authority sometimes works against because they're not used to being in a position of authority. So you're trying to give them too much. And there's, there's a lot of factors to weigh when you're trying to figure out so it, 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 the reflective nature of it, and that's exactly what the, the paper was about, kind of looking back at a, at a semester and saying, here's what we did. Here's what we could have done better. Here's what worked. Here's what didn't. I mean, I'm the son of an educator. My, my dad was a distinguished professor of sociology. And from what I know, I went to college for about 26 minutes. Uh, you know, cobbler's son. <laughs> cobbler's son has no shoes, right? Uh, but from what I learned, I mean, as a teacher, you're constantly learning, supposed to be better ways to teach exactly it kind of makes sense right <laughs> and that comes from again not just having a one-way interaction with students whether they be students students or teachers it's it's got to right. be collaborative it's got to be reflective uh, i think that's very valuable and i appreciate that perspective lastly uh, before i let you go how is how is pandemic life changed your educational career right now? How What changes have you made or what's going on? Well, right now, I mean, our university is completely online. Yeah. Um, so we're still trying to navigate because um, I have student teachers that are out in the field. So right. they have to go out in the field, but I'm not supposed to. So, um, you know, they're now their school district, uh, what the school district that my student, my student teachers are in uh, started off online but they're eventually going to go in person. Um, but then, you know, schools still don't really want extra people in the building, right. you know, taking students in, taking teachers in, but they don't want like extra people walking around. So, um, so having to do observations is different. Um, so we're having to like, you know, video or zoom in or, you know, do something to do observations for student teachers and trying to do all this. And then, um, you know, our classes are, are web-based, but they're originally supposed to be in person. So the, the ones that were originally supposed to be in person, I still do meet with students. But then there's this thing, you know, you can't really necessarily require them to meet with you online because there may be other things going on and other factors. And so, right, right. Um, but it's beneficial for them to meet online. And so, um, you know, I, I do have actually students, even though I'm not requiring it, they are logging in. We're having a conversation. Uh, we're talking about the assignments. I'm giving them, you know, some extra things to think about as they work on their, their online assignments. Yeah. Um, you know, and then our uh, student teachers, they actually, it's a seminar course. And so they do have to get online with us. Um, you know, uh, so many, it's not like every week. So it's like, right. you know, scheduled throughout the semester where we have different, you know, big chunks of time that we sit with them and we do. Uh, we go over some things and then I have some weekly meetings with them just to kind of check in with them. You know, I'm trying to check in with them, make sure they're doing okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kind of check in with their mental health at this point because sure. they're, they are out in the field and uh, you know, they're, it's, it's new for the teachers too. So you have mentor teachers, we're having to pair them with mentor teachers, but mentor teachers, this is all new for them too. teaching online, yeah. you know, having to start the school year out like that. And then now student, and then, you know, in a week or so students are going to be coming to campus, you know, what that means. You're going to have to have students wearing masks, you know, all this other stuff. And so um, that's brand new for the teachers that are mentoring them. Right. You know, so I'm trying to make sure that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm navigating, trying to make sure I'm checking on my residents and trying to make sure I check on my mentor teachers, trying to make sure we're not overwhelming anybody yeah. um, throughout this process. So. Yeah. Yeah can be kind of i mean i you know just i have a five-year-old and she's doing the distance learning and we're figuring it all out as parents now but have to become right. teachers too so right you know well you know uh god bless you okay <laughs> like i said, I, know. And I, said. I, have a, I have a friend right now that she's you know uh, my goddaughter's mother she's a teacher 
So she's about to have to go back and do, they're starting out online learning, but so is her daughter. Her daughter's in kindergarten. And so, you know, what does she do with her daughter during the day? (laughs) You know, she's in a, you know, she can take her up to campus with her or whatever, but it's like, she's got to teach her classes and try to monitor a five-year-old doing her classes online. So Yeah, man. Yeah, no, it's uh, interesting times. Uh, But you know what can give us uh, some sense of uh, being able to get out of this hip hop. You know, we we know how to create something from chaos and make it wonderful and beautiful. And and that's the spirit of it. And uh, hip hop can hack everything and it can hack this situation. It can certainly uh, has been improving the education space. I'm in awe at the hip hop ed movement those officially kind of attached to it uh, and, and anyone who has that, that mindset. I hope that uh, teachers hear this and, and see the work that you guys are doing and find uh, inspiration in it because, uh, you know, y'all have the receipts, you're showing that it works and, uh, you know, anything to help deliver better equity and universal enlightenment <laughs> to the educational field is valuable in my opinion. So I thank you for your time. I thank you for your work. Is there anything that I haven't uh, brought up that you're involved in or need to let people know about or can look into this sort of thing more besides obviously the hip hop ed chat, which happens online on Twitter, Tuesdays, 9 PM Eastern. Uh, and of course the book, uh, the compilation, uh, the second, this is the second edition. Yeah. There's so, the first one too. So, um, yeah. and then, um, and then all we, and then we also have uh, the youth culture power, that uh, Jay Rawls and John Robinson did is actually published through Hip Hop Ed. So, um, so their work is really important to uh, using youth culture. Um, so not just hip hop, but using the youth culture as an avenue in your classroom too. Like, right. And they really uh, start to kind of get down to how do we, how do we really empower youth? And I think it really listen to them. And so they actually have some tools for that. Yeah. I, uh, I know them. I got them. I got to get them on here as well. Uh, good work and good. They're awesome. Um, yeah, fantastic. Awesome, guys. Great uh, cosign. Uh, lastly, this is the question I asked folks. I know we've touched upon a lot of this, uh, you know, in the entire interview, uh, but this is the this is the name of the podcast. Hip hop can save America. Uh, it's sort of a lofty concept and it involves a lot of things. And we need a little bit more than hip hop these days uh, to save, I think, America. <laughs> uh, but that being said, uh, I do like to uh, ask folks in your perspective, in your opinion, through all that you've done uh, involving hip hop in the education space, why does hip hop need to be at the table of discussions uh, when we talk about real ways to improve lives and livelihoods and communities across the country? So I think hip hop really does elevate uh, that social consciousness. And then, um, like I said before, uh, when I went into hip hop ed and, um, you know, the very first hip hop ed conference I went to, uh, talking to them online, the very first conference I went to, just felt so much love and acceptance and just this embrace that, you know, and even in my local hip hop community, the same thing. Once I got to know different artists in my local hip hop community, that love and that community that's there is so important. And it's, it, and it's, um, that feeling is just, it's very indescribable to, to, to be a part of those communities. So. I know it. I know. Well, that's what, hip, that's one thing hip hop does, you know, mm-hmm. it can, it can bring people together and we've seen it throughout the, uh, throughout the world. You know? right. And so, and here we're seeing it throughout many, many industries. I thank you for your time, uh, for giving us uh, the perspective. I'm always excited to learn about how this stuff is actually working in practice. Uh, And this is very interesting to me and I hope to everyone else. I thank you for your time and I thank you for your work. I really do. I respect what you do and uh, especially in these trying times. So we thank you. Thanks for having me. Dr. Case, thank you so much. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, once again, there you have it. Beautiful uh, discussion, uh, discussing uh, teaching teachers, discussing how hip hop can intersect with math and really all educational avenues. Uh, do check out uh, Dr. Kaysen's contribution to the hip hop ed uh, book series, the compilation on hip hop education, volume two, hip hop as praxis and social justice, co-authored the chapter with A.V. the Great called Creating a Shared Energy Through Hip-Hop to Advance the Pedagogy of Math Pre-Service Educators. Smart stuff happens here. This is the world's smartest hip-hop podcast, and you can tell why. I'm not always so smart, so I rely on the really smart people to tell me what the heck is going on when it comes to the intersection of hip-hop in other areas. Uh, So thank you again, Dr. Marty Kaysen, for coming through uh, I really appreciate it, especially in the midst of the education uh, season 
Uh, so it's really dope. Uh, once again, the Hip Hop Ed chat has come up today uh, many times. Shouts to the Hip Hop Ed family. Respect uh, them. Have some representatives from that movement coming up in future, very near future episodes of this Hip Hop Can Save America, the podcast, both the live and the special Friday bonus uh, edition that appears magically on your podcast feed. So once again, to recap, the world's smartest hip hop podcast. We talk about the intersection of hip hop and areas like education, science and technology, health and wellness, uh, uh, the, the fine arts, politics, activism, and social justice, uh, and many may spirituality, uh, self-help, healing, all these things here. I don't know anywhere else. I don't know any other hip hop podcast that does all this stuff. So just saying, subscribe on your podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Search for Hip Hop Can Save America. Uh, and again, follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters. Just do the Google search. My name is Manny Faces. You can find me as well. And uh, keep in contact with us to follow uh, more uh, of these kinds of stories. Lastly, the newsletter, once again, the Hip Hop Advocate newsletter can be found at hiphopadvocacy.org. It is a semi-regular curation and collection of articles, just like the kind of stuff we just talked about. Uh, so if you're into smart applications, innovative applications, inspiring, uh, educational, uh, uplifting, uh, or any kind of application of hip hop that improves humanity in some way, we collect those stories. We send them out to you. We give you hope that hip hop indeed can save America, if not uh, the world. Uh, my name is Manny Faces. You can support this work at Patreon, patreon.com slash Manny Faces. It's been up there the whole time uh, on the screen if you're watching live. And we'll be back Monday through Thursday oof, for the entire month of September 2020. This is quite an endeavor. Thank you for putting up with a couple of, you know, uh, 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 stutters uh, and such. Um, uh, we had a, a little bit of the interview. Uh, didn't make it to the live stream at the very, very beginning. Uh, thank you to associate producer Cindy for uh, for all your uh, hard work. Shouts to OG associate producer Summer, uh, who was always uh, helping and contributing as well. My name is Manny Faces. This is Hip Hop Can Save America, the live podcast. We'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern with an icon, an icon in the world of, uh, should I tell you or should I just make you tune in? Ah. <sighs> I don't know who's listening this far. Who's listening this long? You'll get a bonus. Hip hop photography, y'all, an icon in the field of hip hop photography and archiving. So tune in tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern. See me and many faces. I'm out. Peace. Once again, thanks for listening to another episode of Hip Hop Can Save America, aka the world's most important hip hop podcast. My name is Manny Faces. You can find out more about the show at hiphopcansaveamerica.com. You can watch the show now as a live stream on YouTube, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Check back for all the replays as well. The interviews from the live stream will be brought here onto the audio feed, so you always get the best of the live stream. You can also check out our Substack newsletter. It's free at mannyfaces.substack.com, filled with stories of hip-hop innovation, inspiration, and in general, hip-hop news that isn't about dumb shit. <laughs> Eternal shouts to our consulting producer, Summer McCoy. Be sure to check out her dope initiatives, Hip Hop Hacks, and the Mixtape Museum. We'll be back soon with another dope episode, but check us out on the live stream as well. Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern, hiphopcansaveamerica.com slash watch. Until next time, it's Manny Faces wishing peace and love to you and yours.